Would you like to be part of the next generation of mindfulness meditation instructors? We invite you to take a unique opportunity to earn your teacher certification with Jack Cornfield, Tara Brock, and some of today's leading mindfulness meditation instructors. To get the training you need to guide others in their journey, visit BeHereNowNetwork.com slash get certified. Welcome, everybody, to Ramdas Here and Now podcast. I'm Raghu Marcus, your host. Today's talk from Ramdas is called The Thinking Mind, and it's quite relevant to every last one of us humans who grow up thinking that uh, we are our thoughts. Are we? That's the big question, are we? Because you grow up with the I think, therefore I am. So, but before we get into this, I do want to say one thing uh, relative to the Love Serve Remember Foundation and Ramdas and the retreats that uh, we run in Maui with him a couple of times a year. And I've been talking about the spring retreat with Ramdas. That's coming up May 4th through 9th. I want to reiterate again that uh, there is, uh, we're a couple of months away from it, and there are still beautiful rooms available at the Nepali Resort, just incredible beach resort over there that we use for these retreats twice a year now. And uh, th- this is going to be just some uh, amazing, amazing uh, teachings. Uh, Ramdas is going to be joined by Lama Suryadas, and that is Lama Suryadas's first time out there. He was with us back in the day with Maharaji, and uh, since then, of course, many of you know Lama and know that he has been with some of the most renowned Rinpoches of the past uh, 50 years, and uh, he's got plenty of stories to tell, and he's a, uh, also a very great meditation teacher, does chanting. He has all sorts of attributes that he's going to share at the retreat and do a little bit of hang with Ramdas uh, together. And uh, alongside of them is going to be Mirabai Bush, who is just our own Mirabai Bush, who joins us at these retreats and really provides the soft and loving perspective of uh, of the mother goddess. And alongside is, of course, uh, to provide a little humor to the event. And this is going to be fun stuff. It's going to be, uh, you know him well, Duncan Trussell. And uh, we've, we're going to do... Um, a little uh, podcasty kind of thing. Duncan is known for his podcast and his stand-up routine that he does in L.A. around consciousness and other aspects of uh, day-to-day life. 
so yeah, th- seeing him with Ramdas and I'm going to moderate the two of them. Uh, that's going to be a fun event. Not to mention yoga with my lovely wife Saraswati, and it's going to be joined musically by Benji Wertheimer. We're going to have Nina Rao chanting in the evening, and special guest star Trevor Hall. Many of you know Trevor. He's a very well-known singer-songwriter, happens also to be a devotee of Neem Karoli Baba Maharaji. And Trevor uh, is also, I'm going to join him, and we're going to do a wonderful workshop, The Power of the Mother Goddess. And uh, the theme of the retreat, everybody, is impermanence and the power of love. So I know this is a bit of a long little uh, profile of what we're going to be doing, but I do want to encourage everybody to consider joining us because uh, just how special these events really are. And the most special part of it is just our joining together and really sharing a lot of love in in satsang, sangha, community. It really is uh, something that I personally look forward every year. Every twice a year, very fortunate, very fortunate. So here, uh, May fourth through ninth, just go up to ramdas.org, look under events. If you're interested, hit the registration button, and you'll see all of the details around everything up uh, to schedules and the food and uh, food, which is really great, by the way. So there you go. So, thinking mind. Um, you know, we do grow up with this thing, thinking that our thoughts, that's who we are. And, uh, and Ramdas further talks about this as uh, that thinking is a power, and we get into that power. We get lost into the power of our thinking mind. Look what we can do with our thinking mind. Look at all this technology that we have today as a result of our thinking minds and that manifestation and how lost we do get into that on a day-to-day basis. Most of us live almost entirely within the projections of the thinking mind. And if we really stop and think about it, you see that everything is completely, utterly, we think it's reality, but we're just throwing stuff out and it's bouncing back at us as a projection of what we think. Someone's thinking, someone's acting, what phenomena is in front of us. So he talks here about don't get caught up in the power of the intellect, the power to know we know, and that there's a big difference between knowledge and wisdom. And I I think also about the different paths that... uh, are available in the world, here in the West especially. There's a great focus and, and a great love of the path of non-duality, which, um, and this is all subjective, I feel that it is easy to get caught in the power to know we know within that path. Um, it is not to denigrate it because it is uh, a good exercise to put one's mind through, and it certainly takes it away from just the continual projections. Although I also would, uh, I mean, we come from the tradition of bhakti yoga, 
the yoga of devotion, the yoga of the heart, and uh, I, I, I just, I just think that one has to open up that way to manifest what one can can really utilize the intellect for. So to have realizations certainly is there through intellectual process and uh, study and so on. I mean, I myself am very, very fond of the Tibetan tradition, and and most of the reading I do is based around that tradition. Um, I'll just give you, I mean, one of my favorites. Of course, we talk about Trungpa Rinpoche all the time, and those are fabulous books uh, to, to wrap the mind around. Uh, and the way that he presents stuff is just spectacularly... Um, authentic and revolutionary, one would say. So, uh, Dilgo Kensi Rinpoche, those are two of my favorite, favorite uh, Tibetans. Um, But uh, the actualization of these realizations certainly has to come through practice and certainly through uh, recognizing the opening of one's heart is crucial to actualizing all of these either notions we get through the intellect or our actual uh, practice experiences. And then, so Ramdas then talks about uh, knowledge and wisdom and the difference be two, between the two. Of course, a lot of people know a lot of stuff, but they are not w- very wise. So here, this kind of makes me laugh because uh, he quotes, of course, this lecture is from, I think, about 35 years ago. And he quotes, you know, Henry Kissinger, for example, who was in the Nixon administration, I believe. Nixon? Yeah. Uh, he was a pretty smart guy, and Ramdas is using him as, like, here's somebody who knew a lot of stuff, but not necessarily a very wise guy. Jeez, think about what's going on in politics right now with the kind of people we have out there. You, we wish that they knew a lot of stuff. <laughs> even though that they aren't wise. The level of uh, puerile manifestation in, in the politicians that we see, uh, most especially on the right, unfortunately, and I know some of you are going to get mad at me for that, but uh, boy, some of those uh, Republican uh, debates are scary. Uh, but uh, that's not what this is about. Uh <laughs> Intellect is only one way of knowing the world, right? We think of it only. It's, it's we think it's the only game in town, the only computer program in town. He calls it. That was pretty far back there to talk about computers. Very interesting. And and then so the other game in town is intuition. The intuitive mind heart is a more profound way of knowing the universe than the analytic, intellectual, linear mind. That is a uh, substantial statement there in and of itself. Uh, and then he talks about what, what we need to do is change the relative power positions of intellect and intuition. Uh, obviously, and Ramdas has said this you know, many times over, the intellect is a great servant, the ego is a great servant, but a lousy master. But it's necessary. Uh, absolutely necessary. It's not like you can throw out, oh, well, we'll just go on intuition completely without 
I think intellect is hand in hand with that. And I love this, the changing of the relative power positions of intellect and intuition, I think is a super important way for us to balance our lives. I mean, that is, uh, that's probably to me one of the key things that Ram Dass uh, talks about or says in this particular talk. The thinking mind isolates, it keeps reinforcing our sense of separateness, of course, especially with projections, because you're always thinking about objects. And the more you think inward, self-reflect, the more, even more, you become an object to yourself until the whole universe is objects. Just think about that, right? The more you think about objects, and everything you think about is subject-object. So the more you, th- and, and then you, you start thinking inwardly uh, about yourself, this, that, and the other, and you self-reflect. And the more be- you yourself become an object to yourself. I mean, it's wild. And it's really wild. Um, and he talks about the crucial moment when one realizes that we are not what we think we are. I mean, and I've talked about this uh, on Mind Rolling, too, quite a bit, uh, the other podcasts that I do, and uh, in terms of how I always ask people, what's your transformation point in terms of when you were growing up? What are the, what are the things that help you get to the moment when you realize that you aren't what you think you are. I mean, that's a great way to put it. And uh, usually it's an ineffable kind of an experience that you relate to. It could be a psychedelic trip, a piece of... For me, it was a piece of music. Uh, As I mentioned many times, John Coltrane, seeing him live one day when I was like 16, 17 years old. But whatever it is, uh, it can be just nature. It can be a walk in nature. It can be in the ocean. It, it, It can be anything that trips you into realizing that you aren't who you think you are. That was the biggest experience I had uh, meeting uh, Neem Karoli Baba, meeting Maharaji. It was about constant reinforcement of you are not your mind, your thoughts, your senses. You are not that. Um, In outlandish ways, of course. I mean, it was really a bit of a hammer over the head, shattering of all of those preconceptions, so very fortunate in that way. But uh, we all come to that point uh, once we are um, embark on this spiritual path. There is, there has to be that moment when you realize you are not what and who you thought you were. And once that happens, there can be a great deal of opening. And that's why the heart uh, is is so important. Not just obviously the the intellect as he says, is a, is a good servant, not a great master. So, uh, what else? I'm going to leave this. This is enough of a preamble here and going on uh, about um, the retreat. Uh, I'm just so um, enthusiastic about that. And I, t- I speak to people on the phone who are wanting to come to a retreat uh, they want to do a personal retreat with Ramdas, uh, which those those are available as well. 
uh, in very, not many of them because he doesn't do a lot of them, but uh, I always try to turn people into, because the programs, I mean, Ramesh, Ramdas's co-author, he's out there at 6.30 in the morning uh, med- doing meditation practice with people and, and then in yoga and so on. I mean, it's just a full day of, uh, of, of heart-mind opening. That's all I can say. So uh, go to ramdas.org about that. And also, while you're at it, we're putting out, uh, uh, what we do is we film these retreats. And the one we did last spring, a year ago, is just coming out now. We just put it all together, edited. It's a beautiful bundle, about nine hours. Uh, that's going to be available on ramdas.org. Look out and uh, join ramdas.org, by the way, and we'll be sending you emails about all these different kinds of things that are get offered where you can, and it's all free or if you want to you do can pay for a download but all of it is free and we ask for support which everyone is very generous and has been with the foundation called uh, this is called the cultivating the courage to love and it'll give you an idea of what these retreats are like so take check that out coming uh, in your inbox next well be by mid-march something like that um so here we go ramdas here and now the thinking mind. See, there's the critical one. The critical one is whether or not you are your thoughts. We grew up, some of us even grew up learning Latin in the old days, and we grew up with the statement, cogito ergo sum. I think Therefore, I am. It turns out that it would be more to the mark to say, I am and I think. Thinking is a power that you and I have. It allows us to symbolize, It allows us to remember, to plan, to define ourselves, to know who we think we are. It's such an incredibly interesting and fascinating power. Like there's a Chinese curse, may you be born in a fascinating time, which I love. Because you get lost into it. When you get lost into the power of your thinking mind. Look at what we can do with our thinking minds. I mean, this auditorium is a product of thinking mind. All of, our, all of the handmaiden of thought technology, the stepchild, rather, is all uh, part of the thinking mind's manifestations. In fact, most of us live almost entirely within the projections of the thinking mind. You're living in a room that is square. Notice very few things in nature are square, but the thinking mind creates sharp, flat planes and so on. We are eating food that has been thought through. It's been taken from the way it started and it's been redone through the thinking mind. Modified. Prepared, we call it. We live very much in our minds. And when you live, the thinking mind, while it's an exquisite 
power. I mean, we developed, in, in terms of Darwinian evolution, we developed a number of interesting things. First, we learned how to be upright bipeds. That was a great advantage over you know, that one. And we learned this prehensile capacity, thumb, index, finger opposition, so we could pick things up. That was a big one. And then we got these big prefrontal lobes. You notice some of our old uncles don't have them. They're from the eyebrows right back, it goes flat. We developed these big thinking machines, which developed all this symbolic power. And that really set us apart as a species. This thinking mind, which is so incredibly powerful, the Easterners know, they say, don't get caught in, your, in the siddhis that come along the way, S-I-D-D-H-I-S, which means the, the powers that you develop along the way. And one of the powers you and I have is the power of this intellect. Well, it's like the power to know we know. Well, I really know that. But it's beginning to dawn on us that there's a difference between knowledge and wisdom. Because we are beginning to see a lot of people who know a lot of stuff, but they are not very wise. Do you notice that? I mean, we have a lot of them in politics. <laughs> Henry Kissinger is a very knowledgeable man. But I very rarely feel a sense of great wisdom in his being. I don't mean to put him down. He's just another being like us. But I think what we have worshipped in a culture that worships the intellect is we have worshipped knowledgeable people rather than wise people. And there's a way in which you and I, the way we are gathered here tonight and what we're doing here, <clears throat> is we are in wise person training. And wisdom has a certain innocence to it. And it's different than the intellect. Because it turns out that the intellect is only one way of knowing the world. We think of it as the only computer program in town. And for years, in, our kind of, uh, in a kind of chauvinistic way, we said, well, tough-minded people, they're the really, that's it. Then there are these wishy-washy people, very often women, we said, who use intuition. You'd say, how do you, how do you know that's going to happen? And she would say, intuition. You'd say, oh, you women. I mean, this is an old movie, an old B-movie from years back. Well, bizarrely enough, it turns out that the intuitive mind-heart is a more profound way of knowing the universe than the analytic, intellectual, linear mind. But it isn't as if we have to choose one versus the other. We've, both, we've got both of them. The only thing we have to change is the relative power positions of them.
Because most of us are functioning trusting our rational minds and often rejecting our intuition. Animals don't reject their intuition. Babies don't. It's very funny because being a holy man as I am, I come into somebody's home and they have a baby, you see. And now, when, if you're a beautiful, loving being like I am, the baby is supposed to coo and giggle. And I walk in, the baby goes, Wah! And I, I'm saying, nice baby, nice baby, you know. Hello, hello, you old Tibetan Lama, you. Baby goes, Wah! And it's terribly embarrassing. I mean, how can I be somebody so holy if the baby is seeing right through me? Dogs go, grrr, you know, I mean, you know that feeling when you go in and you're feeling all loving and the dog goes, grrr, and you think, gee, what did he see? What did the dog see? Because you know the dog is sensing usually its own paranoid projections, but. <coughs> and the baby may have a gas bubble, who knows? I mean, there's all infinite possibilities of explanation. But if you're unsure and you needed the baby and the dog's intuition to re tell you you're okay, that's using the environment for feedback, using those feedback loops all the time. That's because you don't think you are okay. The problem with being stuck in your thinking mind is that the thinking mind thinks about things. So it thinks about the world. So you are always the distance of one thought away from life. Because everything becomes an object. And if you've watched the evolution of this interesting process of the addiction to the thinking mind over millennia, thousands of years anyway, You've watched people going from where they would allow their intuitive feelings to be at play among humans and even animals at first, but they thought about physical uh, um, non-organic phenomena or something like that. And then pretty soon they started to think about other people because they said, well, I can't really trust all these people. Some of them are them. They're not all us. So I better think about them, watch them, think about them. But among the family, the tribe, at least it's us. And I can just function the way a river functions or a tree, just intuitively. Then as the world progressed into civilization, supposedly, or Western civilization of the thinking mind, Gandhi said, civilization is, um, is uh, the art of voluntary renunciation. Somebody said, what do you think of Western civilization? He said, I didn't know there were any. Huh. I don't think he would have said something as nasty as that, but that's what they say, Gandhi said. As civilization evolved, it got to the point where you said, well, I can't, or not only can't trust all those people, but you know, even in my own tribe, there are some people that are going to be watched. But the one thing I've got is my family. And then things progressed, and you said, well, you know, in the family, 
you know, there's this generational difference, and my parents don't really understand me. Or my kids really are different. I better think about it and watch it. I mean, at least I can be intuitive with my spouse or people of my own generation or grew up in what we call an alienated society. Not sure I trust me. I mean, these neuroses. I'll go to a therapist and discuss him. And I become an object to myself. And I am feeling even isolated from my own, from my, my own identities. The thinking mind isolates. It keeps, it keeps reinforcing your sense of separateness. Because you are always thinking about objects. And the more you think inward, self-reflect, the more even you become an object to yourself until the whole universe is objects and it's like you're in a plastic telephone booth, which you're screaming because you're starving to death even though you're rubbing bodies and making love and do you love me and do I love you and here we are. But it's all thinking. You're thinking. You're making love through thinking. You're relating through thinking. And you've scrunched down that intuitive space. Because the power of thought is it gives you, a, you as a separate entity some sense of security, like you've got control of the situation. I know where it's at. What Florence Cluckhone, the anthropologist, calls man societies in which it's man over nature. Control and mastery are the games of the West. We are busy being in control and mastery games. I can wipe out the mosquitoes. I'll get rid of everything that gets in the way of me having paradise. And I'll be in control of it. There is a, a point in this sequence that I'm talking about, right at this point now, where you've gone that whole trip and you recognize that no matter how hard you think, you are not going to be able to experience the thing you are yearning to experience, which is a feeling of contentment, or a feeling of at-homeness, or a feeling of well-being, or a feeling of it's all right, or a feeling of harmony with things a feeling of being in the flow, a feeling of yes, of, of affirmation, of yeah, okay. A feeling of isness. Because the thinking mind is an actor and you're busy being an actor. You're busy being identified with you as an actor. Like if I'm speaking to you and you're listening to me, are you an audience and am I a lecturer? Well, there is lecturing going on and there's an audience listening, but behind it all, here we are. You here, you can be busy being an audience if you want to. I am fulfilling my role as a speaker as impeccably as I'm able to do that. But that isn't my identity. It's a relative reality. It's not absolutely real. We are using words, but they're like birds from my point of view. They come out of the void and they go back into the void. And behind them all, here we are. Just here. No labels, just here. 
It's the only way. If, if you can't label it, how do you know you know that you exist? You don't. But are you here? I'm here. So what's the big problem? But the thinking mind isn't satisfied. How do I know I exist? You don't. You see, what it is, if, you were, if you're into logic, it is a subsystem, it's a subset trying to include the set, the meta-set, within itself. It's like Palm Springs trying to include California. And it can't. It's part of a larger system. And California is part of the United States. The United States is part of the hemisphere, and the hemisphere is part of the Earth, and the Earth's part of the solar system, the solar system part of the galaxies. Da, 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 da. And so the intellectual analytic mind is only a subset. It's only a part of the game. And it's a great, powerful, delightful thing, but it's a great servant, but it is an absolutely lousy master. It ends up leaving you alienated and isolated and busy being separate. And there comes a point in the dance of life or lives or rounds when you begin to recognize that fact that you aren't who you think you are. That you have been giving yourself short shrift. That the game is much more interesting than that. And when you start to allow yourself to recognize that, you look back on your life and you see how many times in your life you knew that already, but you were busy not knowing it. Because it didn't, wasn't something you could think about. I remember being with my mother when she was dying and uh, I was in the hospital room and she was on morphine and I was on mescaline, I think. And we were holding hands, and uh, we were just out there, and there was no mother and there was no child. We were just these two beings in space, reflecting about life and death and stuff, and it was just one of the most beautiful experiences I'd ever had with my mother. The next day I came into the hospital room, and she was off the morphine that day, and I said, wasn't that a lovely day we had yesterday? Wasn't that a beautiful space? She said, it was disgraceful. They had me on drugs. Okay. At that moment, I saw that the minute she didn't have that chemical in her, the attachment she had to being who she thought she was was so strong that she really wasn't ready to recognize this other part of her being in this lifetime. Now, I use words like in this lifetime and sooner or later you begin to notice you aren't who you thought you were. And sneaking around on the edge of this is the issue of reincarnation. Some of you say, well, I'll go just so far, but when you get to reincarnation, you've just gone... And in fact, in the Bible, in the councils of Constantinople, Nicaea, and Trent from about 300 to 586 or something like that, they selected what would end up in the Bible, and they selected out most of the stuff that, in fact, almost all the stuff that had to do with reincarnation because it, it undercut the church. 
Because if you were just coming through here, passing through in another round, it didn't have the same powers as if this was the one. Oh, here I am again. What do you know? Ah, oh, life. Ah, oh, death. Oh, that was a quick one. I mean, we're a little bit like... Um, there are these images of how many times you've been born. Like as many as grains of sand on a beach or something like that. Or a mountain six miles long and six miles wide and six miles high. And every hundred years, one bird flies over the mountain with a silk scarf in its mouth and runs the scarf across the top of the mountain. In the length of time it takes for the silk scarf to wear away the mountain. That's how long you've been doing this. So you're like one of those little bugs that's born in the morning and dies in the evening and around noon it says, this is life. <laughs> See, now I'm talking about a different kind of evolution than Darwinian evolution. Darwinian evolution is the creation of the package in which you find yourself. And you went through your Neanderthal period and on and on and on. On this particular round, on this particular planet. Who you are is quite a different ballgame, quite a different matter in time. You say, well, is reincarnation real? No. But are you? I mean, my father used to say, come down to reality, Richard. And I couldn't find it. That was my problem. <laughs> the reality that he said to come down to was relatively real. It was the same thing when I went through school. I took physics and I was taught the Newtonian physics was absolutely the way it was. Then along came a guy named Albert Einstein. And he said, well, it's not exactly wrong. It's just relatively real. It's real under certain conditions. And it's called the theory of relativity. And he took my old Newtonian physics. He didn't make a lie out of it. He just took it off the pedestal of being absolutely real. And what you have done and I have done and many of us have done is those experiences we've had in which we have been in another way of knowing the universe, we have treated either as hallucinations, or I was dreaming, or I was, uh, gee, I, I don't know, I just don't know where I was just now. We have ways of treating it, reducing it out, so that we can come back into the control we feel with our thinking minds. The problem is we are reinforcing our own sense of separateness. And in that world of separateness, you're constantly locking doors to protect something. And feeling drier and drier in the process. You're turning off the life juice, the flow of the universe, just in order to protect something. Once that awakening moment starts, once that happens and you recognize you aren't who you thought you were and you acknowledge that, you just say, yeah. There's my thinking mind and it defines all this, but behind it all, here I am. I just am.
tell you how far out it gets when you keep working it. You see, I am, and then there is this body, and there is this personality, and it comes and it goes, and this is aging. This foot is older than it was 20 years ago. Interesting. Here I am. Who you are, if you can sense this for a second, who you are is neither born nor does it die. Who you are neither comes nor goes. Who you are just is. You could call it awareness. Call it isness. Any word you call it is just a word that your thinking mind creates to try to get hold of it. But you can't get hold of who you are. You just are it. And the minute you can relax into this interesting, intuitive allowance, acceptance, spacious presence, the whole meaning of the game changes. I was told a reincarnation story the other day I must share with you. It was two... Um, Itzhak and Moshe were discussing reincarnation. And they agreed that since they weren't sure about it, that whoever died first would send a message back. So Itzhak died first and Moshe went to a medium. And as Moshe walked into the room, he heard, Moshe, Moshe. He says, Yitzhak, is that you? Yes, Moshe. Yitzhak, what are you doing there? Yitzhak says, each day I get up, I eat, I have sex, I rest, I eat, I have sex, I rest, I eat, I have sex, I rest. Moshe says, Itzhak, you're in heaven. Itzhak says, heaven, hell, I'm a moose in Idaho. I mean, you've dreamed at night. And then you wake up and you say, boy, that was a dream. And have you ever had the experience where you wake up and you say, that was a dream, and then you later find you're still in a dream? You're dreaming within a dream? Ever had that experience? Huh. Well, wait till you wake up from this one. I could have sworn I was sitting in an auditorium in Palm Springs. You were there. I'm telling you, Sam, you were there. It was so real. Have you ever said that in the morning? <laughs> Why do you think this one isn't? No, this is reality. I'm awake. Ha, 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 ha. That's all I can say to you. <laughs> the game is just much more fun than most people are playing it because they're busy being somebody. 
Now, functionally, we have to be somebody. We can't relate other than through our somebodyness, but you don't have to get lost in it. I'm like a renter, Ramdas. You rent me and you wind me up and out comes Dharma. That's it. I mean, I'm a, I don't take myself seriously. I'm not busy being bald or 50 or, or a holy man or a teacher or anything. I am, and this is the stuff I do. This is my gig. This podcast is brought to you by the Love Serve Remember Foundation and Ramdas.org. We appreciate you listening and we appreciate all the support that you've given us. Please continue that support and donate at Ramdas.org. We can then continue to share what Ramdas has been sharing for all of these years. Thank you. Thank you.